I am Giuseppe. Hi, I'm Anthony, and this is For the Love of Sophia, a philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions for future episodes, please follow us on Twitter. Enjoy the ride. Okay, so what is consciousness? That's a big question. Definitely. Um, I think usually in a non-philosophical setting, when people think of consciousness, they think of just awareness, right? Like I am aware of this. And so when you're unconscious, you're not aware. But I think in philosophy, we have a much more specific understanding of consciousness in that we're talking about the mind in general. And so in philosophy, you have this whole problem that we call the mind-body problem, where we think about whether or not your mind is the same thing as your brain. Mm -hmm. And if they're distinct, how are they connected? Absolutely. And, uh, and the problem is, you know, eradicated centuries ago, right? Descartes is the first one that oh, right, to right. Make, make this this distinction. He's thinking of a distinction in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. Is really making the distinction between our body mm. the whole thing, not just our brain, I think. Right. And and the mind, which is this more elusive from our perspective. Um, which I find it funny because from Descartes it was easier to find out what this mind was, right? Because yeah. it was identifying with this thinking thing mm -hmm. that he was doing all this work. And he was to to make sure that his body was his body, so to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So his whole task was, what can I know with absolute certainty? Mm -hmm. Can I? And then so right off the bat, he's like, well, I can't know my body because I could doubt that. Exactly. And then he goes on until he finds this this idea that the only thing that he can know for sure is the fact that he's thinking mm -hmm. and there must be this something that does this thinking. Right. Which ends up being his mind. Um which I was saying is slightly different because for us, that thing that's doing the thinking seems to be reducible to this mm. brain stuff, right? Uh, or at least some yeah. philosophers claim. In, in right? the scientific mindset. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but instead, probably this, this consciousness is something a little bit different. It's related to the mind, definitely, right? Mm -hmm. It's part of this mind. Some people will claim that it is completely attached to the brain, right? Mm -hmm. It's a specific function of the brain, we can say, right? Uh, it happens in a specific location, uh, which is what? The frontal lobes, lobes I believe. Something like that, um, right? But we don't need to get too technical about that. Well, instead, I believe that from a philosophical perspective, we can make a claim that it might be something a little bit different, right? Yeah. I mean, so when, when you think of consciousness... Mm -hmm. What comes to your mind? Well, um, it definitely has to do with partially this idea of awareness, right? But it has to do especially with the way a specific individual, you can say, experiences the world that is outside and inside, mm -hmm. for that matters, him or her. Um, so my specific 
tasted music. I always think about, I don't know why, but I always think mm-hmm. about music when it comes to, when it comes to, to consciousness. Uh, this, my specific experience of music is what happens within my consciousness, so to mm-hmm. speak, right? It is, my consciousness is responsible for that. And when I say my specific experience, I'm talking about the sensations, if you want, that mm-hmm. this music gives me, right? Yeah. And I, and here is where I see the difference between the brain and the mind somehow in consciousness, because of course it is my brain, of course. We assume that it is my brain that's decoding the sounds, right? There's vibrations that are happening and all this kind of stuff. But yet the specific emotions and sensations that the mind that the music gives me well that is not necessarily happening in my brain the same way the brain is decoding this stuff right yeah it's a different level yeah because when you send a sensation right Mm -hmm. it's not like you mean the physical processes hitting your nerves and going into your brain right you mean something much more personal right um because I'm thinking now, what's a good place to start in terms of definition? And I'm thinking of Thomas Nagel, right? What's it like to be a bat? So Nagel has this whole idea that we could say that something is conscious if, and only if, there is something it is like to be mm-hmm. that thing. What does that mean, by the way? What do you think? Because, <laughs> uh, again, not to be... Yeah, yeah. Because people but... are like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Um, well, I think you look at something like this table mm-hmm. or the rocks, and you say, well, there's nothing it's like to be a table or a rock. And I think what you mean when you say that is there's no interior life. Okay. Right, so when it comes to a human, us, you see our physical bodies, but that's not where it ends. There's something it's like behind our eyes, so to speak, right? It feels like something for us to be aware, right? Mm-hmm. And that isn't present in non-conscious agents, so to speak. The I guess the, the one of the the problems could be how do we know which things had this process or not, right? That's a very good question. Because uh, we assume that the rock doesn't, right? And I'm inclined to think that it doesn't. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, when it comes to a table, I agree with that. When it comes to a plant. That might be already different, right? Yeah. I mean, this is maybe the part where we say there is a connection to the brain mm-hmm. because it seems like we only call things conscious if they have some kind of minimum physical processes happening in this thing we're calling a brain. Is that right? Would you agree? So are we saying that there is... There cannot be a mind if there is not a brain. Right. So we say that the mind is different from the brain, but it is in some sense dependent or contingent upon it. Does it mean that it emerges from the brain? I, that's my natural belief, I okay. think. Okay. Wait, are you of the... Uh, I don't know. I actually... Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tend to believe that as well, but at the same time, then the problem is we just move a little bit below right or we get to dig deeper and then the problem is what makes a brain a brain right mm-hmm. is it the green matter is all this yeah. it, because then if we would be able to replicate a brain 
just instead of being made out of carbon, made out of you know silicium or whatever mm-hmm, it is, mm-hmm. or another another. If we can implement it into a machine, would that would unconsciousness emerge at that point? Can computers or you know things that have some sort of um, artificial brain produce consciousness? Because that's the issue there, right? Yeah, and that brings with it a whole set of weird problems because other than the bare bones emergentism question it's like well if i copied your brain atom for atom Mm -hmm. in some other host Mm -hmm. is that thing suddenly you right and so i think the two ways of understanding that are option one that thing becomes another version of you which is conscious and has all your memories perhaps and feelings but you don't experience what it's experiencing and then option two is, well, maybe you're somehow present in both both of these hosts, and you have two perspectives at once. Mm, like, like it's sort of a vision that it's double but separate, sort of something. Speak. Yeah, I don't know. It's like two eyes; they're still connected to the same yeah. neurological system, but one eye is from one perspective, and the other one is from the other perspective. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem possible, but it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't, right? It's. And I think that's it's problematic, right? And um, but I wonder even when we talk about consciousness, the way we've been talking about, it, right? Is that the only thing? Would you say that we can define as consciousness? That that part is it just is it just the the what is like to be what it's like to be? Well, Chalmers has another way of talking about it, and it's similar. Mm-hmm. So in the conscious mind, he'll say there's this distinction between the psychological mind and then the phenomenal mind. And then the psychological mind, these are all the things that science studies. Uh, So questions such as, you know, what is the chemical makeup of the brain? Or how does information flow from one part to the other? Or, you know, let's hook you up to an fMRI machine and see which parts of your brain light up, so to speak. And he calls those psychological problems of mind the easy problems Mm -hmm. right in the sense that even if we don't know it now science is perfectly capable in its current form of answering them at some point right and then he draws a distinction between that kind of mind on the one hand to this thing he calls the phenomenal mind and the phenomenal mind is the what it's like to be but he he says there's a subjective aspect he says there's an inner movie playing hmm. in your head. And he uses the term qualia. Okay. Right, so he says if something's conscious, it has qualia, which is short for a qualitative feeling. And I suppose quality is chosen because it's distinct from quantity, whereas the sciences study quantitative problems. He's talking about something that can't be reduced to some kind of you know, material study. And there's also unique to the specific individual, I'm assuming, right? So that's not, we cannot replicate that. Right. Anywhere. Yeah, so when, when, like, when I look at this green and you look at the green, um, we're both seeing green, we assume, but it feels different to each of us. Mm. And that's reasonable to believe, right? Um, I also believe that this idea that qualities are different they must be bothersome to the scientific aspect of things right uh, because if we cannot 
put it into a specific quantity, if we can all analyze it, mm -hmm. uh, if we can all quantify it, if we can all record it and make it objective, how do we even know it's there, right? Because we, we are assuming, and it's interesting because you can assume two things there, right? You can assume that everyone sees the thing the different way. We can reduce that to everyone has the same perception, mm -hmm. so there's no qualia there, mm -hmm. uh, which is a reduction, definitely. But look from the other perspective, it seems that what Chalmers is doing and is actually multiplying entities without mm. any proof of that, right? This idea that, well, we have all different perspectives. Perhaps. Where is the proof there, right? And you cannot, by definition, you can. Yeah, he opens the book with this phrase, something like, consciousness is at once the most familiar thing to us, but also the most mysterious. And I think that probably couldn't have been put any better. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's, uh, going back to the music example I was making in the beginning, I am worried somehow that when, when we use that example, people think, oh, what, you, what they're talking about is this idea that I like rock music, you mm -hmm. don't like rock music, mm -hmm. right? It's a matter of taste. Well, yeah. the, the, the issue is that it's much, much deeper, right? It is about the fact that this specific song makes me feel in a specific way but at the same time, is that different from, you know, I heard this song for the first time when I was with this girl, and now every time I listen to this song, is it more than just the history that this song is for yeah. me, or is it the same thing? Is it's, consciousness like the, the recorded history in our head, or is there something more? It would seem to be the condition for that. In which sense? Well, I think of the conversation me and you had in the past where we said, okay, imagine if a computer detects a color such as red. Mm -hmm. Okay, And then now imagine you looking at the color red. And you want to ask, is the same thing happening in both of you? And I mean, the question already presupposes that there's an in of the computer, right? Yes. But I think the idea is that the red will not feel like anything to the computer, right? There is nothing it is like to see red for the computer. Whereas for us, there's something there and it's intuitive. Like we all know it's there in some sense. Absolutely. But we can't really speak about it. Absolutely. So in this sense, you're saying that that's the condition for our ability to build a history of something. Yeah, like history feels like something because it's culminations of qualitative experiences. Hmm. I was wondering interesting because I was wondering if in reality what we're calling qualitative experience is the culmination of our personal history <laughs> regarding something, right? I don't want to make this yeah, yeah. Uh, more complicated than what it is. Right? No, but that's an interesting idea. But this idea that, you know, at the end of the day I have experienced in, in one sense the, the, how can we say, the foundation for this experience might be physical, right? The fact that we have a brain, as we're saying, right? mm -hmm. because there is a brain and then the mind emerges from it, right? So let's assume that there is this physical existence that is the foundation. And then on this physical existence exists in time and is exposed to a series of experiences, let's right. call it, right? And because of the specific experience that I have that on a very basic level could be of pain and pleasure, let's say, right? Mm -hmm. I don't particularly like that, but let's assume that they seem 
basic enough, right? Then I will associate the color red or the color green or the, the sound that comes to that specific experience and therefore then I will feel in a specific way. Mm. There it comes the qualia, like the, the combination yeah. of that. So maybe I would say it's reciprocal because I could see what you're saying being absolutely true. Hmm. I think I think maybe to, to qualify what I said, in the abstract, there's this condition for the possibility of having a history, right? Which is having uh, the possibility of experience. Which, by the way, I like a lot this idea that there's a condition for having mm. a history, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's very interesting. It is. And so there's these conditions for having a qualitative history, and then that particular history will influence the way you qualitatively experience things from then on. Interesting. Maybe. <laughs> really interesting. And uh, I was wondering, so we keep saying that this is obviously individual, right? Mm. That is, that, that pertains to specific self, and we cannot replicate. So me and you will probably have different qualitative experience of the color green or mm-hmm. of whatever, the, the fourth symphony of Beethoven, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, I wonder, though, if if there is a way in which we can at least generalize some of these things. And is there such thing as a collective consciousness, so to speak? Maybe. Maybe. One of the, so one of the things I was thinking is I think we have to be careful because I'm worried that if someone's hearing this, they might think we just mean associations. Okay. Right, like, oh, well, I view green in this way because of my associations I have with green due to my history. But what we're saying, to clarify, is much deeper than associations, right? It's the qualitative foundations for something like... The the, the experience of yeah, whatever. for something like associations, I'm thinking. Can you... Do you think we can make an example of this? That's well, it seems like it makes the difference more evident. Because I, I think you're right. I think that might be. This so idea. okay, let's see. Let's say I look at this green thing in front of me, and it feels a certain way. And we say that it feels a certain way because it reminds me of, you know, the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so I think of growing up as a child, going to the beach and feeling relaxed and all that stuff. It's not just the fact that I'm associating this object with some past experience. Like, that's not where the quality is. It's not in just the relation between the concepts. It's in the fact that it feels like something to see this green. And that feeling was also in some sense present in that thing that I am associating it with. In other words, I'm associating it because there's a qualitative similarity. So there is a shared qualitative experience between the color green and the ocean. Yeah, because it's not just an association, like I say, this book is like that book, because there's no quality in that association, right? You're just combining like categories. Yes. These aren't just... These are not just combination. They're right. rather, again, there is this this sort of form <laughs> uh, for lack of a better word yeah, this is hard to, <laughs> this, to speak about no it is it is and uh, um, but I understand what you're saying there is something that is there and is that's happening kind of the same way mm-hmm. but even those two experiences are different some in a literal uh, sense yeah and so in a literal sense because your experience when you were uh, a kid 
in the ocean is give you some specific experience, some specific, specific sensation, let's call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the look at this mirror, it gives you also this qualitative experience. Yeah. They're similar, but they're not exactly the same. Yeah, and what you're not doing is saying the mirror is like the beach. What you're saying is the thing that I experience when I see this mirror is this, reminiscent of this feeling I had when I was... So this idea of looking at the mirror is, gives you this nostalgia about... Perhaps. Mm, but then, no, I think that that would be association again, so... Mm. Maybe we're going we're going in a different well, direction. Maybe this this shows what we mean when we say that consciousness is, is is an interiority. Because without consciousness, you're just comparing a mirror to a beach. Yes. And that's not what we're doing, right? Exactly. So it's rather my experience. It's what it's like to <laughs> I think it's interesting because I was thinking that what is like to be you mm is to establish this deeper connection between Mm. the mirror and the beach. Mm. Because that's the qualitative experience that you have that it's not, that I cannot replicate. Mm -hmm. So when I see green, I don't think of the ocean, I think of grass, for example, Mm -hmm. right? And the fact that this association that you make happens on this foundational qualitative experience that you have with things, it's partially what it's like to be you. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So that is that is what we're talking about. Okay. Maybe we should look at um, one of the arguments for the existence of this qualia, right? Because you okay. could be like, well, you guys are talking about this thing, but you, like you said earlier, you haven't given any proof. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I think the strongest proof, or at least the one that's easiest to grasp onto, is the knowledge argument. Okay. Mary's room. Mm-hmm. Right? And so this was Frank Jackson and Chalmers kind of took the argument back up and so he says okay imagine this girl named mary and mary is the world's greatest color scientist she knows everything there is to know about color how you know you have different wavelengths of light and these different kinds of light interact with the anatomy in your eye so as to produce blah 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 sensation so she knows all of that she can give a scientific explanation of any color However, this person, Mary, has lived in a black and white room for her whole life. So she's never actually seen color. And so the question goes, imagine one day Mary steps outside of the black and white room for the first time. And she sees, like, a red flower. Does she learn anything new in the experience of that red flower that she didn't already have prior to her experience of it in that physical scientific knowledge. And I'm assuming that if we say yes, that's the qualitative experience that we're talking about. Yes. Because if you say no, what you're saying is, well, no, she doesn't gain any new knowledge because she already had all the physical physical knowledge. knowledge, But if you say there's something new, it's one way of interpreting that is to say, well, oh, maybe there's something more than the physical that she's now knowing. And some people say that's consciousness. Interesting. And I, what popped in my head was actually the... And it's kind of similar but different, radically different um, thing. Um, example from Locke, from John Locke. When he talks about there's this old debate in the 1700s pertaining people that... Um, 
assuming that somebody was blind uh, since birth, and then eventually this person, you know, learns how to go around without the sense of sight by touching, smelling, and all this stuff, right? Um, the debate that he has with this doctor, his name was Moline, I believe, was if somebody could gain, all of a sudden we give sight. There's an operation, the guy gets and gets to see stuff for the first time. Would he be able to recognize stuff mm. as what they are? Just yeah. because, you know, he has touched the table, so now he sees the table and says, oh, that's the table. Or would he not, right? Uh, just by sight. Just by sight. Mm. Maybe not. I don't know. And it's, do you think that's somewhat related to this consciousness thing? I see how that's related. I guess I see it as being a little bit different because that one seems to be about are you properly identifying the object and like putting it in the right category? Whereas this one is more about kinds of knowledge that exist, physical mm -hmm. and perhaps non-physical. Physical and non well, do you see the relating? Quite, uh, I, in a weird way, I think so. I'm not sure I can fully explain this. Because mm -hmm. I think that we're still talking about some sort of experience, right? Because I have experience and I have full knowledge of what the table is mm -hmm. throughout all my other senses. But now I throw in this new sense in there. Am I, am I able to... And again, if we do the if you do the opposite, if you close your eyes, right, and I'll give you something to touch, and I'll tell you, okay, what is this? You will guess something. Sometimes will be you know completely wrong. Sometimes will be right, but we have it's very difficult for it. So if I give you something, and you touch it, you'll be like, okay, this is square, mm -hmm. for example, is like this. So it must be a book, for example, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I wonder, though, in the reverse mode, if I have all the, all the information that I need to have about the table, I have it already. There's just something new that's happening to mm -hmm, me now, mm -hmm. which is through sight. Yes. Is this, is this kind of similar to what we're talking oh, about? Oh, sure, yeah. I think if that's what you're getting at, that makes sense, right? Like there's something in that visual experience that you didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it's not merely some kind of... I'm not adding yeah, quantity It's there, not right? like an arrangement of shapes, just exactly. it's like it feels like something. Exactly. It's, it gives me a completely different take to this. But again, going back to Mary's room stuff, I think that that is that is interesting. And I, and I remember Jackson's name, right? Yeah, Frank Jackson. At first, he says she learned something new, and mm -hmm. then he walks back and says, now he doesn't. Yeah, he changed his position. Um, I wonder, and we should say that it's not scientifically cool to believe in qualia. That's true. This is crazy. Yeah, this is like <laughs> madness, right? The, the only respectable person that can talk about this is Chalmers. It somehow yes. has gained some respect of the other yeah. uh, philosophers of mind. But generally speaking, those things are crazy talk because it cannot be quantified. But mm -hmm. I contend that actually this is the central issue because right. all the rest is... This is why he calls it the hard problem. Exactly. Because we don't have the answer. And it's not silly because it's like if you told anyone this thought experiment, they'd be like, oh yeah, I kind of know that thing you're speaking about even though I can't quite explain it. And, uh, and, and again, I'll do the same thing that I did uh, previously. Why is that important though? Why do philosophers spend time 
What is what? What's a stake here, so to speak? Hmm. What would you say it's a stake? Because I think that uh, it might be. Um, what can we say? Intellectually stimulant, right? It can be intellectually mm-hmm. uh, could fulfill one of our curiosity, if you mm-hmm. want. It's one of those things that might be cool to know, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, why is this relevant? And I believe it is. Yeah. Why is this relevant? What kind of? Um, why should we spend time talking about this? So I'm thinking of two things. The first is, if we're willing to admit that consciousness is something non-physical, then whoa, we've admitted of a new category, the non-physical. And we, so we have to wonder whether there's anything that that new category brings with it, other aspects of reality that we haven't engaged with yet. Right. So that's that's the first issue. Um, The second issue might be something to do with how we think of animals okay in relation to humans and maybe even plants okay right because it seems like if there's consciousness involved we bestow a kind of importance onto this thing yes and we say well a plant doesn't have this a rock doesn't have this so maybe consciousness becomes a gauge for how we establish values interesting and i think both of these things that you said are very very important and the first one when you say like we would pretty much walk into a whole new realm there, right? Mm-hmm. The whole new thing, which could be like, well, maybe reality is more than this. Maybe there is another level. And what does that mean? Um, and when we say non-physical, does that mean, is that part of what we call the supernatural now? Mm. Or is it that's still the natural? Well, it's still natural, right? Yeah. And I, I'm assuming that you intend that it's still natural, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but how do we explore that? How do we access it? And all those questions, that might, we might need a new science to do that, right? That's right. So we're missing the methodology, and but we haven't looked into this, right? We haven't, we haven't looked into the possibility of building technological tools to observe this. Mm-hmm. We have ignored this right? because we have believed that was not existence. It's like saying, it's like going back in time and not having any idea that bacteria existed, right? And we're not thinking of those things. So we're not developing anything mm-hmm. to look for these things. And we go on forever until somebody by mistake ends up looking at those mm-hmm. things. I wonder if we are in a similar situation here where we are ignoring a whole aspect of reality. And what would that look like? It could be. And you're right that it would dawn in this new paradigm of science where they have to retract things they've said in the past, right? They're mm-hmm. completely replacing their metaphysical foundations. It's in this state of revolution, right? Scientific revolution. And in the process, we're expanding our definition of reality. And so our lifestyles change. You see, um, I think that that is one of the clean exam- clear examples of where philosophy is absolutely necessary. Mm. Meaning that philosophy can provide the new materials, so to speak, the conceptual framework to build a new way of interpreting the world. Mm-hmm. So that is necessary, yeah. so to speak. This, this, And I think that consciousness might very well be this thing. And I, I always contend that, uh, and maybe we'll see this in later episodes, um, one of the difficulties that we have in building intelligence being are made out of 
other stuff like intelligence robots or intelligent mm -hmm. machines in general is the fact that we think that no matter what you see there's always something lacking and the problem is we cannot or we don't want to kind of put our finger on what this lacking thing is and mm. I suspect that this lacking thing is consciousness it could be it could be and now we're getting at uh a distinction between where science ends and where philosophy can pick up the pieces and that also is perhaps a theme for another episode absolutely right because we have science which studies the physical natural world and then we have philosophers who do that too but also we admit of pure logic right or ideas yes. and that opens up yes definitely and um for the second point you were saying that, that our our um, interactions and understanding of animals and plants mm -hmm. and other, another thing that we consider alive. I think that is another, another issue that's worth exploring, and maybe uh, we can talk about this more on the second part of this episode about consciousness. I think so. Think? That sounds good. All right. All right. Mm -hmm.